into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? If you had to pick uh, five modern-day directors, who would be your top five? Oh, boy. Um... Yeah, no time to prep for that one. Ah, jeez. Top five. Oh, okay. Modern. Let's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, modern's still pretty broad, sir. Okay, within Um, the last 30 years. Okay. Um... Because I don't want to go, you know, back to Kurosawa and stuff like that. I know know you love him. I do. I I definitely do. Uh, I, I mean, I was trying to think even more current than that, but yeah, I mean... It's kind of probably cliche, but I would say Spielberg's in there, you know, for sure. Um, gosh, see, you were, like, preparing that question. You were just cooking it. And, well, like, uh, yeah, I had been it. thinking about it all day. After watching uh, Arrival this weekend, I, I really think that uh, Denis Villeneuve is one of my new, like, favorite directors. Like, after Prisoners and Sicario and uh, now Arrival, I think that he's a great director. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would totally agree. Uh, the Arrival was incredible, by the way, and as was Sicario, and, you know, I mean, I definitely think he's a director to keep our eye on, for sure, but, yeah, I mean, let's see here. So, is he your, like, number one? Are we going, like, one through five? No, or just how are we, top how are five. We you don't really have to, you don't have to put him in an order after that. Alright, I mean, I would definitely say Spielberg is in there. Um, Christopher Nolan obviously is in there probably david fincher i think david fincher is a pretty incredible director jj abrams i really like abrams i know a lot of people are kind of like on the fence or you know again maybe that's like another cliche answer but i really like a lot of the stuff he's done and i feel like usually with his films like i'm on a very similar wavelength as to him and his thought process so I I would say he's definitely in there. And, man, I almost kind of want to also, I, I guess it's, I mean, there's so many, like, oh, my gosh. But I guess to round it out, I'd probably slip uh, uh, John Farvero in there. <laughs> Like I, I think the guy is an incredible individual as a human being, and in terms of his filmmaking career, I, I think he's done an outstanding job of not only, you know, starting off as as an actor and then transitioning into directing, but like he just genuinely seems to be getting better and better and better every outing that he has with his filmmaking. And uh, I mean, I think that's definitely what it's you know supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. But my gosh, I mean. I don't know. There's just there's literally so many though. I mean, I really enjoy Wes Anderson. I enjoy the Coen Brothers. Uh, Sam Mendes is amazing. See, that's um, up until you Neil said Neil Bloomkamp. Uh, I mean, up until you said uh, you know like uh, the uh, who did you just say? No, uh, not not right before the Coen Brothers. Sam uh, oh, Mendes. Wes Anderson. Uh, oh, Wes Anderson. I was I was with you. Those I mean, those are pretty much my top five. Would have been uh, other than Spielberg. I, I don't know if I throw him in there. I mean, he's obviously a great director, and the uh, same with like Ron Howard. But uh, I I think that Nolan and uh, Favreau and uh, Villeneuve and you know uh, David Fincher and uh, and J.J. Uh, Abrams would probably be up there in my top right now. Yeah. So that was pretty. I mean. I, I I wasn't expecting that. I was I really wasn't expecting us to be so uh, in sync on uh, you know directors wise. I mean, another couple that I would throw in there obviously as well would be you know Quentin Tarantino, Rodriguez, Guillermo del Toro. I mean, those guys are all phenomenal filmmakers in my opinion, each in their own right. But still, I just think they're incredible storytellers and and really great directors and i mean like you know stanley kubrick's one of my favorite directors but again i'm trying to keep it like a little bit more new wave if you will which i guess spielberg would still kind of fall back into you know the kubrick and coppola and scorsese era of time frame of them coming into the industry at least 
Yeah, and uh, obviously with the, you know, um, up and coming directors, you know, it have to you'd have to start to, not, I mean, not push out the older ones, obviously, but like look at the new ways that they're they're making films, and and especially like Neil Baumkamp, like you said, you know, mm-hmm. uh, his attack his. Uh, attack at i guess at film filming is is a lot different than what we've seen before and then uh tim miller after he made deadpool you know coming from a uh vx uh, vfx uh background that's and now david lish who you know made uh uh john wick and is going to be making deadpool 2 that's uh, obviously from a stunt coordinator kind of background it's it's going to be those kind of influences when they make their movies yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also think you've got uh, what is it, Alfonso Cuaron? Yeah. Uh, I think he's a amazing, amazing director. Obviously, uh, turned out some incredible films that have all been pretty much essentially nominated for Academy Awards, kind of back to back to back there. So, uh, which would be, of course, Birdman and uh, The Revenant. For those of you that aren't super familiar, and then I think Gravity as well. I right. think Gravity was in there, so you know he's he's definitely up there as well. Speaking of Gravity, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, something that I tweeted earlier today, but like around this time of year, for the last four years, there's been a like a really good science movie, like not just science fiction, but like science movie, starting with Gravity mm-hmm. and then Interstellar and then uh, uh, The Martian, and then this year Arrival. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And to, to just backtrack for just a second, I also think uh, uh, Antoine Fuqua, I think is how you say his name. Yeah, uh, I would, I would also say that he's definitely someone that should be on that. I mean, granted, we're way beyond five at this point, but <laughs> I definitely still think he's somebody that should make the cut because I mean, his films have been incredible, and you know, he's done stuff such as Training Day, Shooter, Olympus Has Fallen, Southpaw. Uh, I think he did Fruitville Station. No, that uh, was no, that, that was Ryan Coogler. That, that was. Uh, Ryan Coogler. Uh, Ryan Coogler, who's also a great director. Right, and he's up and coming. Um, and he's going right. to be doing the new Black Black Panther movie. Black Panther, yeah. So Equalizer would have been right. the other one. That, that was, was Antoine Foucault. Yeah, Foucault. Antoine's. And, you know, stuff like Training Day, which I already said. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's interesting that now jumping back to what you were saying about a science fiction film kind of coming out around Halloween, I think it's interesting that the time frame is kind of – that window, you know, a window of time in which you would think would genuinely be reserved for horror films. And you're getting these amazing science fiction films. And with the arrival or with arrival, sorry, not the arrival, That's with Charlie arrival, <laughs> you uh, potentially have some Oscar, you know, nominations and things like it, that for it, which I, you know, the Martian kind of was as well. Gravity obviously had some. So was Interstellar. Uh, and interstellar as well so yeah i think it's and it's funny because you know i posted an article that was basically talking about that and how we haven't had a science fiction film that has won the academy award for best picture so you know again there's maybe not a great possibility of the chance being high that it would take best picture but it's certainly interesting to think that it could potentially become the first science fiction film to actually win the Best Picture uh, Academy Award. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I think that it's been ramping up to that with uh, the great, and, and I, I know it's still fiction, but especially the arrival, which it has to do with, with aliens and stuff, but the fact that it's tackled with uh you know real science i think in mind uh, the idea of jeremy renner's character trying to uh equate math and in theoretical physics to uh the alien beings whereas amy adams character is is literally breaking down what they're saying uh through pictographs and trying to figure out their their language and stuff and that i mean that's a form of science no, absolutely. And if, to me, like, yes, there's aliens in the film, but the film really isn't about the aliens. It's still really, to me, very much about the human element behind the film and kind of the the flaw that really identifies us as human. And, and that is that we essentially, you know, she, she makes a comment about it in the film or one of them. It's either her or Renner or someone does. They make a comment about how we don't have a universal ruler. You know, we don't have just one person that's in charge of the entire planet. We're very much separated and, and we, 
you know, try to have our own, you know, agendas and our own identities. And, you know, there's not kind of this real cooperative nature that exists unified across the globe. And so it's really fascinating to see a film, especially at our current time frame where we couldn't, you know, possibly be uh, a little bit more divided, contrastively divided, yeah. you know. And I think that that's, for me, I think that's what I enjoy most about film usually or storytelling in general is when you can tell a story that has this kind of social commentary or some sort of meaning to it that, you know, like a moral or something that you can get through the film and you can be like, well, that was a really great movie all on its own. But then when you really start dissecting the message behind it and kind of the social commentary elements and things like that I think it becomes uh, a film that can go to stand the test of time when you have that um, because I mean certainly I don't think that's going to be something that we fix within our lifetimes you know so I think it's going to be something that probably again 50 60 years from now people can sit down and watch this movie and be like wow yeah like we're still very much ununified and and that's kind of what these aliens are trying to do in this film is come to earth for help and at the same time force us to unify and to work together to potentially stop something from happening way off in the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, and it, it is a great uh, story. And I don't, I don't know if you, uh, re- have you read the novella that it's based off of? No, I didn't. I didn't even know it was based off of one until obviously the credits. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, like, that's super cool. I want to go back and and check it out, but no, I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. What about you? Have you read it? No, I hadn't read it, but I, I had seen some. Uh, I guess there was a interview with the the writer of the novella, and I can't and his name escapes me at the moment. But I believe he he had said something about you know how he was so happy with the adapt- adaptation that they made for the movie because uh, he just felt that it was it really captured. Uh, what he was trying to say in his uh, his story in general, and and though they they made some changes because I think, you know, obviously without giving trying not to give away any spoilers or anything, but they had changed what it was that the the reason why the aliens had come to the earth had come to earth. Mm-hmm. So it, it's you know he was he was just which I mean obviously a lot of uh, writers when or a person who's written something they're going to try and. Uh, promote the adaptation as much as they can but just the way that he said it really made me feel it felt real genuine yeah and i think that was uh ted chang i think was the name the author's name that wrote the novella i could be wrong on that but uh no but i thought that that was really cool and i agree with you and i also think that kind of the way they approached it with like language and how ineffective and effective communication can be you know i mean it's it's incredible how there's just you know changing of one word or you know in certain languages misrepresenting a inflection in your voice at just the right time can completely and utterly change the entire contextual basis of your conversation and i thought it was really cool to kind of see them work that into a narrative way that makes sense and adds you know uh like tension and and things like that to the to the overall story i thought that was incredibly well done definitely yeah that's i mean that's exactly where i was at and i mean uh and i was surprised for a um, it 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 was only a two-hour movie like you would expect something like this to be much longer but uh they they were able to tell the whole story and concisely in in uh two hours so you know it, it but it did feel like it just flew by no, yeah, I I didn't have any moments that felt like it was dragging or anything like that. I thought the pacing was very well done within the film, and it really helps you kind of stay engaged in the story. And the other thing that I was going to – and, and I, I, I don't know if it's a spoiler. I mean, like, maybe it's a little bit of a spoiler, but in talking about, like, the language and the communication, I thought it was cool the way that they designed the alien uh, hieroglyphics, if you will, or the alien, you know – speech basically right right in in the sense that you know they kind of reference the fact that they don't comprehend time linearly like it's not just this you know beginning and an end to them and i thought it was cool that their language was all kind of based on circular uh, patterns so kind of also insinuating also through their visual language that time really just continues to loop around and it never continues to flow from 
you know, left to right, like, you know, human speech does for the most part, or at least written word, I should say, not speech. But I thought that that was like a cool little detail that they had done with the film. And I don't know, maybe it's written that way or described that way in the novella that it's based off of. But if it wasn't, and even if it is, you know, good for the writer that that came up with it or good for the directing team or creative team that had a hand in it because I thought it was a really cool little addition to the film. Definitely. Um, That's, you know, that's exactly how I I felt when uh, leaving the theater for that. And I I just, I I was really just blown away by the whole story. And especially when you have that moment when, when things start to become more clear as the audience member to what, you know, what's happening in the storyline. It just, I just really just, it blew me away. I was like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe that. And for, I mean, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but I mean, I usually can pick up on signs of stuff, uh, before they happen in movies and storylines. And that one just really caught me off guard. Yeah, I definitely, I, I picked up on it. Like, I think a, a little bit before they were kind of planning the unveil of, of the quote unquote twist. Right. But it definitely, I agree. It definitely pulled me a little bit farther along than most films do. And, and I, for that, I think that's, I think that speaks volumes about the overall movie and just being kind of pulled into that world and not having that mindset of constant deconstruction of, well, how did they do the lighting or how did they do this? Or, you know, paying attention to those things, which, I typically try to – I always try to go bash, back and watch a film like multiple times to kind of have those moments to where I can be like, okay, the first time I'm just going to – if it's good, I'm just going to let myself get lost in going through this experience. But if it's bad, you know, you can find yourself very easily like wandering mentally and being like, oh, well, they must have had their lighting source coming from over here and they must have been trying to do that, which I genuinely try to do. I try to go back and watch a movie, you know, the second time or third time and really deconstruct like the pacing of the edit and like where the lighting's coming from and how it's motivated and things like that. But I I have to commend them for not really allowing my mind to do that on my first watching. Like it really never gave me an opportunity to let it wander away from the tension and, you know, questioning of what was really happening and the uh, suspense of these aliens potentially coming to earth to kill everyone or what their objectives (laughs) were. And I thought that that was such a cool, uh, a cool, not cool, but I thought that was such a good job on the storytellers part to, to do that. See, and I, I mean, obviously, as you were, uh, you know, an aspiring director or a uh, upcoming director yourself, you, you that's the way you um, tackle a film, at least on the second and third watch, or if you're not engaged enough in the first watch, you know, in the first watch. Uh, I find myself doing the same thing from a writer's side. Like I, I sit there and I, I try and see the tropes that they're they're writing into the storyline, or, or you know, why it is that certain characters have characteristics, and and I, that usually comes around comes about in the second watch for me, if I'm engaged in the first watch. Uh, I, I tend to see I see myself doing that a lot now when I'm watching um, like Westworld on you know on on cable. Uh, I'll watch the first one for the first, I'll watch the episode the first time for enjoyment. And then I'll second time I'll go through and I try and, you know, depict on what it is that they're showing me and what it is that, uh, the storyteller is trying to tell me at, at this point. while while all will also maybe trying to blind me at other points. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 <laughs> I do find it fascinating that, uh, that we can still communicate in this way on a movie level. But, uh, as we have also off, differed in our our past you know what i mean yeah i I, no, i totally agree and i have to say that i feel like even with the arrival i feel like even if i watch it a second time i'm i'm still gonna have a hard time pulling myself away from the actual narrative to deconstruct it and i really can't speak highly enough about that because i think that's really a hallmark of how engaging a story is when you can captivate an audience multiple viewings so much so that they're not you know, wandering and saying, well, okay, well, let me think about this or think about that. You know, it's kind of like those moments of like meditation where you have to kind of start off and work up to something like that, where you you can maybe only meditate and keep your mind clear for, you know, a matter of seconds and then minutes. And then eventually, you know, you can move into, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes up to potentially an hour. And so I think when you have a narrative film that can kind of grab you mentally like that and take you through this 
this essentially you know 120 minutes of of storytelling and not allow you to really mentally take that breath and pull yourself out of it i think that's just incredible and i thought they did such a great job with that yeah no uh i i'm i'm right there with you so uh you know talk do, do, any more you wanted to talk about with that that movie because i'm just figured would just flow on to the next thing um, I just briefly want to say the other thing that I found really interesting was that uh, the past two films that uh, you know he has directed, uh, which was uh, Sicario and what was the other one? Prisoners. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did Prisoners, but didn't he do another one more recently? I know his next one is going to be Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, either way, where I was going with it was is his past two films, the cinematographer has been Roger Deakins. And when I was watching this one, I was like, oh, it's like the style of this cinematography is very similar to Deakins, but it's it's off somehow. And so I was like, well, that's really strange. But then when I got to the end of the movie and I was watching the credits, it was actually done by a different cinematographer. It was done by a guy named Bradford Young. And... I just thought it was really interesting that he was able to kind of come in and keep the same normal, like, or what seemingly become normal for, for him as a director, kind of keep his similar style, but with a different cinematographer, which of course, going into Blade Runner 2, he is teamed up with, from what I understand, Roger Deakins again. So I'm not sure if maybe Deakins was just busy on another project or like what happened, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, I also saw that he uh, has used the same composer for uh, most of his uh, his work so far, and this, this particular one, the composer didn't even wait for him to finish filming scenes when he just started uh, composing the music for it. So, uh, and I've I've gone on record many times of saying I'm not a big music person. Like the the score and the the, the music for me, though I understand how much uh, it does for a movie, I don't pay attention to it. Yeah, it's uh, Johanna Johannesson or Johanna Johannesson, yeah. something like that. Is Johan Johannesson? Yeah, but he is. Uh, I gotta say, he's an incredible composer. I, he, you're right. He did Sicario. He did Theory of Everything, Prisoners. Uh, gosh, I can't even think of some of the others. I mean, like he's done a, a number of films, but yeah, he is just an incredible composer. And it's it's crazy to hear that he didn't even wait for this to get done before he was already just making music for the movie like that's insane <laughs> yeah that's uh that's incredible i mean and that's that that only goes to uh i think really uh speak about the relationship that uh the director uh villanueva has with his uh collaborators and basically is a you know a cinematographer and his uh composer and probably his actors yeah, I mean, and and that's kind of what they say, you know, is that you tend to typically find a group of people that you feel comfortable with and you stay with them because you trust them and you start developing this secondhand language that allows you to just kind of almost have a certain level of telepathy and kind of just, you know, be on the same wavelength mentally without even having to really say it. So I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I I can't speak enough volumes about this movie, so uh you know what have you seen anything else lately oh man you know what's funny i really have not seen very much i have just been like it's we're in arizona and so you know the the heat kind of went down slightly from you know the 90s to like the low 70s and all of the production work has just been coming out of the woodwork so i mean i have just been crazy busy today is the first day i haven't been on set since uh, i don't know probably a few weeks ago and uh yeah it is it is just i think the last thing i watched before arrival was doctor strange um which i gotta say was a phenomenal film <laughs> if you haven't seen it oh no, no. i'm sure you've seen yeah it, i've definitely people seen listening. It. i've seen it a few times uh and yeah I, I enjoyed it too i would put it in my top five marvel movies at this moment um what about yourself yeah it's funny because um so we were recording we were entertained and we had some technical difficulties and we lost all of the dr strange stuff that we had recorded but at the time i said i think it actually was my favorite marvel movie now however i had misspoken because <laughs> i forgot 
that Deadpool is technically a Marvel movie, but technically isn't. Okay. Because it's a Marvel character, but it's a Fox, it's a 20th Century Fox film. Right, and I would, I'll always say that that's a Fox film, whereas this is a Marvel film. This is a Marvel Studios film. So I, I, because I I mean, it definitely, I, I mean, I don't know. Deadpool would if we were just talking about all Marvel characters, Deadpool would definitely be in there in the top five as well. Uh, I don't know if it's better than Doctor Strange or not, but uh, I, I think it's it, it would definitely be up there uh, more so than any of the other Fox Marvel films for sure. Yeah. So with that, okay. So we'll do that then. So Fox, it's not a Marvel movie, but if it was, it would be my number one, just because Deadpool as a character holds a biased place in my heart above <laughs> all other Marvel characters. So, but yeah. With that being said, with it being a Marvel studio film, I actually, yeah, I think it's probably my favorite, and uh, it probably will be until potentially Black Panther comes out. Because I am, after seeing what they did with Black Panther in the Civil, uh, War. Civil War film. I gotta say, I am really, really excited for what they are going to do with that as a film. However, going back to Doctor Strange for just a second, I think the the biggest thing that's interesting to me about Doctor Strange is it's the first movie that I've ever said that I felt it was a necessity to watch it in 3D. I think this is like the first film that is like you literally need to a go watch it in the theater because it just it's such a theater experience type of of film and then number 2 it it benefits so much from the scale and depth of field that you get out of 3D that you just don't get out of standard 2 definition uh projecting and I, th- I i thought that alone was just incredible the way they handled the 3D on it well i'm assuming you went through the IMAX 3D when you saw it i did okay yeah i i I've yet to see it in regular 3D or uh, or, or IMAX 3D. This is not an IMAX near where I live, but uh, I would like to go see it in IMAX 3D. I don't know if it's still hanging around in the IMAX theater or not, uh, but I I've always been a big opponent to 3D. So I know <laughs> when you said that <laughs> when you said that you you really recommend going to watch it. I was I was floored, and I I, I now I do want to go see it, but. Uh, I really hope that I, I have the opportunity to maybe uh, come in this holiday weekend coming up. I'll, I'll be I'll get a chance to go do it. Yeah, it was it was just interesting because I was reading an article where the director was because I was originally trying to find find out if it was filmed in 3D or if it was a 3D to 2D conversion. I still haven't found anything that completely 100 percent says one way or the other. Know, says that it was but the one thing that i did find fascinating that kind of led me a little bit more to believe that it was filmed in 3d was the director was talking about uh, them having actual problems doing a 2d conversion really and so i was like oh well that's interesting so again i don't know for sure but from what i've kind of read it seems like they filmed it in 3D and then converted it to 2D or at least filmed some of it in 3D and then converted it to 2D. So I, I I don't know. But whatever they did, it's kind of like not the gimmicky 3D where it's like, hey, you know, we're throwing shit at you and it's coming out of the screen at your face. It's more of like <laughs> it's giving organic. you just this... Yeah, and it gives you this like enhanced sense of scale, in my opinion, which is like uh, Prometheus kind of did that. So like I remember watching Prometheus in 3D, and there's a part at the beginning where the ship is flying into this valley between these two mountain ranges. And when you're watching it in 3D, it just really gives you a sense of scale that is, in my opinion, hard to capture with a compressed two-dimensional or perhaps even an uncompressed two-dimensional image. It's just hard to capture that. And with Doctor Strange, you get these amazing uh, virtual set pieces of these cities that are folding in on itself and these buildings that are collapsing and growing. And then even uh, the end where he's talking to... um, Dormammu. Mamu. Yeah, I was going to say Mama from from Judge Dredd. Um, Dormammu. Yeah, Dormammu. There you go. I've come to strike a deal. Um, to bargain. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, I, I've seen it once, okay? <laughs> and I've I've slept probably two hours a night for the past couple of weeks. Um, okay, fair enough. Or something to that effect. Yeah, so I'm sure people listening will be like, oh, he sounds so weird. I'm like, yeah, because my brain is fried and my body <laughs> is in recovery mode. Yeah. Um, 
And for anybody listening that wants to know what it's like to work on a movie set, well, the day after, the only thing I could compare it to is you wake up feeling like Bruce Wayne after a horrible night of crime fighting and probably fighting Bane on his Venom Rage because uh, you are just, if you're doing it right, working your butt off and you are just sore everywhere. <laughs> I can, I, 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 I mean, I have never been on a set myself, but I can only imagine the, it's the equivalent of having to work uh, at a grocery store on this particular holiday, you know, the days leading up to a Thanksgiving. Because I just uh, went to the grocery store today and I, I felt so sorry for the people that were working there because the people uh, were just horrible. I was going to say, that's probably even worse, because at least when you're on a film set, genuinely most of the people that are there really want to be there. And uh, in the corporate world, most of those people, both on the customer side and on the professional side, don't want to be there, and I <laughs> don't blame either one of them. No, yeah. Yeah, retail is, is, is a horrible place to be during the, during the holidays. It really is. It's it's borderline inhumane, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, I yeah, I definitely... I enjoyed... Uh, Doctor Strange quite a bit. I I really enjoyed, and you know, it's been out for a few weeks now, so I don't mm-hmm. really care about spoilers. But uh, I really enjoyed the ending that we didn't get this formulaic, you know, big fight scene that you you really expecting for uh, this type of film, and yet he comes in there and he uses his intelligence to uh, to stop him. To uh, you know, not only does he is he willing to sacrifice his own body to die over and over again. Uh, but he's 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 outsmarted Dormammu instead of uh, fisticuffs, basically. <laughs> right, and to me, it's like it's like what you were saying. Like, uh, I agree with you, but I I still agree that there is a, a like you said, there is a tremendous battle that happens there. It's just not one of physicalities. It's very much a battle of wits. Right, and I think that is one of the coolest things because I think what would happen in a lot of other studio films is they probably would try to be like well look you know rules or or guidelines dictate that we have to have this final epic showdown and i think it's cool that marvel's like knows its characters well enough and is is confident enough to say well we are having that battle it's just not happening so much on a physical scale between the two of them it's happening very much as this mental game of of endurance and chess and I got to say, I, I give them mad props for that because I think they not only did they do that, but I think they executed it very well. And I, I, I honestly, I think that made the movie even better. Like you're saying, like there really wasn't this moment where you're like, oh, is he going to be able to overpower him or how's he? You know what I mean? And and they do it very well. I at least that's what I thought. No, exactly. And I think that that has a lot to do with uh, Kevin Feige with uh, the way that he. Uh, for lack of a better word, show runs the Marvel Studios universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I think, I mean, he obviously has a close uh, knit on on what's going on, but he lets the directors and the the storytellers tell the story that they want to tell. I, I believe. I mean, there could there there could be other things happening behind the scenes that I have absolutely no idea about. But I, I think that's uh, I think that's what's going on here, and you know. I would assume Disney is pretty much trusting him to that because he's made they've made hit after hit after hit with this Marvel Cinematic Universe that at this point they're like okay yeah you want to try you want to put more uh, you know talking trees in movies go for it you want to have this guy uh, you know make jokes about Beyonce in a in a Tibetan temple okay why not you know <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm guessing it's it's all gonna work out for you so. Yeah, that's what I what I really love about the Marvel Studios uh, uh, movies right now. Well, it's it's true, and and again, like I mean, obviously, I've never worked on a on a Marvel or DC film, so it's it's kind of like um, you know, couch filmmaking, if you will. But it, it it there definitely does seem to be something different happening at Disney slash Marvel Studios than there is anywhere else because. Just based off of like statistical probability, they should have had one of these movies completely bomb out now. Um, even Deadpool. Deadpool should have been the black sheep that tanked and did horribly <laughs> because it was rated R. And you know the the industry has had this concept for a long time that you cannot make a successful R-rated film that competes on the level of which you know things like Batman and the Avengers and you know all these other superhero films are doing and then Deadpool comes out and proves them wrong it's you know and I think that that's absolutely incredible because it by all 
you know, Hollywood logic, it shouldn't have made as much money as it did. It shouldn't have done as well as it did. And I think, you know, which again is 20th Century Fox. It's not Marvel that did that. But I think that that alone maybe and, – and that in the leaked concept footage where they kind of leaked it, I think maybe 20th Century Fox was like, well, we're going to take the Marvel approach and kind of get out of the way – and let you make the movie that needs to be made. And it certainly seems like that's what Marvel has done, not only with their films, but even with the Netflix series. Yes. Uh, I remember when, when it was announced that Disney was buying Marvel and, you know, everyone was kind of freaking out being like, Oh, well, are they going to come in and Disneyfy all of the comics? And like, what's going to happen to Deadpool? What's going to happen to the Punisher? What's going to happen to all these anti-hero dark characters? And then, you know, we turn around and, and we get the Daredevil TV show. And again, it gets brought up. Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's Daredevil, which is cool, but, you know, Disney's involved and now it's <laughs> going to be really bad because they're not going to let stuff happen. And then right out of the gate in season one, some dude's head gets cut off in a car door. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, Disney, let this happen. This is amazing. Like, holy shit. And, you know, I, I think that that's – you know, again, going back to to them running this the the situation differently than what everyone else is, and I I think they are genuinely bringing in the right people, and then realizing that those are the right people and getting out of their way and allowing them to do what needs to get done to tell these amazing stories. At least that's how it seems on the surface. Maybe it's hell. Maybe it's you know the worst conditions in the world, and people just love the characters so much that they find a way to do something. But I really don't think so. Well, I think that I mean the, the I, and I hate to to rag on DC, but I think the obvious proof is that uh, look, we've had three different directors already drop out of the Flash movie. They're looking for their fourth director now, and if the DC side can't seem to get their, uh, their movie world movie universe working like a Swiss clock, like that's happening over at, at Marvel. I think the only director to drop out over at Marvel was Edgar Wright and his Ant-Man was already what nine years behind, you know, they, they announced that Mm -hmm. like, I believe just before Iron Man. So I, I would assume that whatever was going on, they just needed to be like, okay, we need to move on. You know, it needs to happen or, or, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's obvious to see that, you know, there's something else going on uh, at Marvel that's, that's, that's right that's not happening over at DC. Now, you've talked about we've, – we've brought up Deadpool quite a, few to, uh, quite a few times in this, so let's go ahead and talk about Deadpool 2. Uh, the fact that Tim Miller is – uh, out and from all accounts, they parted ways amicably, uh, and now David Letch is in. Uh, how do you feel about that? You know, I at first, like everyone, when I when I saw the you know uh, headline for the article, I was like, oh no, this is the worst thing ever. And then you know, I read the article, and I I have to say, I I really. I commend everyone involved within the situation, at least based off of what I read. Now, again, this is all assumptions and all that sort of stuff because I'm not a fly in the wall or a fly on the wall in the room between you know Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds in the studio when all this was happening. But the fact that he kind of came out and was like, "Look, like I give them my blessing going forward. They're going to go do something that's amazing. It's just not what I wanted to do." And I think. I think it's better that he removed himself from the situation knowing that he wasn't completely 1,000% involved with the direction that they were trying to go with the film. He wasn't even saying it's a bad direction. It's just not the direction that he wanted to take it. And so I think that that's the best thing you can do because a lot of times what ends up happening is people get you know project or money lusted. And they're like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm staying into this no matter what. But then their heart's not in it. And when your heart's not in making a movie, just get out of it because you're not going to do anybody any good. And it really only takes one person to be that domino to knock the whole thing over. And I, I have a lot of respect for everyone involved in the sense of, of them saying, look, like, we're both super, super passionate about this character in these films we're just not agreeing on where this particular movie is going. Let's part ways. Obviously you're going to stay with it because you are, you know, you were born to be the character and I'm, I I could certainly never take that away from you. 
and walk away from it and then potentially still end up in the good graces of the studio because they want to move him on to one of their other projects that, you know, is probably going to be a better fit for him. And, and not to say that the first one's not, I'm not saying the first film's not a good fit for him. I'm just saying like when you're presented with an option of doing something that you 1000% have your heart in versus something that you have very little interest in doing, that's not a good fit for you. And so the fact that he recognized that and removed himself pretty quickly and didn't drag the the production down or didn't slow things down or didn't, you know, trip over his own ego or being silly or anything like that. Um, and the fact that Ryan Reynolds had nothing but kind of good things to say. And, and, you know, I, I honestly, I think that's the best thing that could have happened that, you know, they didn't, he didn't try to force himself to, to just carry through with it, hoping that by the time they got to the third one, he could come back to what he wanted to do. He just was like, no, like I, you know, go forward and do what you got to do, but it's just not what I want to do, and that's fine. Yes, no, at I, least that's how it seems. Yeah, and I, I'm, I agree with you completely. I think it's, it was, you know, it, it's terrible to see uh, someone that doesn't want to be there. You know, obviously, and it's going to reflect in their work. It, uh, there's not, there's no way around around it. So, uh, the fact that he knows it's going in a different direction than he, that he wants. Uh, the film to go it's no there's no reason for uh, him to stick around and and that's uh, a good thing to see that you know you could totally be like well this is my baby and I should I should be the one that has the last the last say on it but uh, you know it didn't seem like that's what was going on there no absolutely and you know I, I do I I think it, it it is a little bit unfortunate yes because obviously they struck the nail on the head perfectly in my opinion with the first outing and you know i think if they were both on the same page it would have totally happened again uh but you know it's just not the case and sometimes that's what happens you know so uh earlier you you brought you said domino and i know you meant it is in the way of like the the domino falling over but uh there is going to be a character in the second movie called domino and mm-hmm. uh cable as well and those two roles have yet to be uh cast however fox is already fox is already talking about uh a short list of directors for a deadpool 3 and have you seen the names that came up or released rumored Mm, no but am i on it (laughs) uh unfortunately not Mm. uh i I will go and make sure that your name is on it so uh you know i will take care of that for you just do it in true like Deadpool fashion. Just put an X over somebody else's name and then just like pencil mine in. Like it'll, you know. Well, here's here's the name, the three names that are rumored right now. It's Rupert Sanders, uh, Drew Goddard, and uh, Magnus Martins. And I believe that I mean you, Drew Goddard. I know from Kevin in the Woods and uh, the Daredevil series and uh, the writing The Martian or adapting The Martian for for film. Magnus Martins, he's done a lot of TV directing, and uh, I'm not too sure about Rupert Sanders at the moment. Hmm. Rupert Sanders. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we can definitely go and uh, I'll just cross out uh, Rupert Sanders' name and put in Richard Owen's name. So. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. You know who he is? He did uh, He did the, the Snow White and the Huntsman, and he's he's directing uh, the Ghost in the Shell movie, which actually, like, have you seen the trailer for I, Ghost in the you Shell? You know what? I haven't seen the, the trailer for Ghost in the Shell because I've never been a big anime person, it, but I just, I haven't actually sat down to watch the trailer. Well, first off, the I, I know that you're not huge into anime, and that's fine, Um uh, but that anime, the film, is actually really incredible. Same thing with like Akira and you know all of the like Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki work and stuff. But, but the movie, the animated film is spectacular. And I have to say, watching the trailer that they put out for the live action Ghost in the Shell, it looks pretty spot on. Like it looks pretty freaking awesome so i'm actually super stoked for that yeah but is i'm okay with leaving him on the list yeah but are those like uh think of i mean as ghost in the shell and and snow white and the huntsman are are those like a good look for what you know a deadpool 3 movie should be um seems like different kind of style altogether What's that? I said it feels like it's a different type of style altogether that we didn't that it wouldn't match with what we have in Deadpool One. 
Well, it it may or may not, you know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of that's going to come down to the relationship between the director and the cinematographer, because the cinematographer, uh, depending on the director, I should say, and how their relationship is, the cinematographer usually has a very big impact on the visual capturing of the film and how it actually does look. But I think also you try to, or at least I think you hope to try to tailor your cinematography needs to the story needs. You know what I mean? Like you have a lot of high key lighting for comedy and, you know, a lot more moody for um, drama and stuff. So, I mean, like it would be weird to have like a high key lit drama, you know? So I think I'm not super worried about that so much because when I look at like how Ghost in the Shell is in the trailer, at least, and this is again a lot of uh, assuming on my part because the film is not out yet and I haven't seen it, but I, I think the cool thing for me, at least, in looking at that is he's trying to stay very faithful to the original content that was provided with Ghost in the Shell. And I think that's kind of more of what would sell me on him if he was the director that was selected, was to be like, okay, well, he's doing this over here. At least it looks like he's trying to stay very faithful to the source material. And so that would give me hope that he would stay true to Deadpool source material because I feel like that's what Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller did is they did a pretty damn good job of trying to stay faithful to Deadpool, you know? No, yeah, I, I get, I get what you're saying, and and obviously, uh, I think that, well, I, 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 I contribute a lot of the success. Well, not a lot of the success, but only a good chunk of the success of Deadpool to uh, Ryan Reynolds and his champion of the character, champion of the character, and you know, wanting to uh, play the character as much as he he did, and as as said for many years. So, uh, you know, him. The way that he has presented himself, I think he would definitely keep a a good eye on what's being, how the story is being told, and then working you know, with uh, whichever director it is to get the story out there, uh, the proper mm-hmm. story. No, totally. So, well, why not just have David Letch come back for Deadpool three? I mean, I don't think that it's... I mean, it's tough to say, right? Like, it depends on how quickly they want to go into production with it and, you know, what his schedule is, what he already has. Because that's the other thing, too, is that, I mean, in looking at the project, like, like they might already have a timeline established to say, okay, we're going into, you know, pre-production for Deadpool 2 here, we're going into production here, we're going into post here, we're releasing here, and then at the same time, like, here's the timeline for Deadpool 3, here's our pre-production, such and such and such, and he might have already had other obligations that prohibited him from coming back to do Deadpool 3 based on, you know, their assumption-based timeline of when that might happen. That's certainly a possibility. Um... I mean, there's an, a number of any given reasons as to why that could be the case or I, why it may not. Be. I mean, I have to assume that he's finishing up John Wick two right now. Um, I mean, I would say that's a very safe assumption. <laughs> so that maybe that's why we ha- we haven't got casting done yet for Deadpool two and uh, things for that that effect. But um, w- uh, I had I had something that I was going to say. Now I totally lost my train. Oh, so the idea with Logan coming out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be the, Hugh Jackman's last hurrah as Wolverine. Wolverine. At least, mm-hmm. you know, that's what the story is right now. Um, you know, they could always Disney. It could always be like Disney backing up the Brinks truck to Johnny Depp and asking him to come back for some more movies. But uh, as a pirate, but uh, if this is Hugh Jackman's last go as 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 Wolverine and the rumor is true that they're going to they're going to reboot the X-Men universe anyways uh do you think that Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool will be the new Hugh Jackman as uh Wolverine and show up in every X-Men movie and kind of have his own little storylines in between stuff like that um i i mean i don't i don't know i feel like that 
I mean, I could see maybe from a studio standpoint of why they would want to do that because I feel like they could maybe think of it as kind of like a cash cow to try to draw more people into the studio just based off the success of, or not the studio into the theater, based off of the success of of the Deadpool franchise, pr- provided the next one goes on to be as successful as the first one and so forth and so on. But I don't know. I feel like if they do that, I feel like that's a really bad idea because, yes, Deadpool has been involved in the X-Men universe, but he's never been really the highlight or the center point of it, right? Like, kind of the trinity there would be, you know, Cyclops, uh, Wolverine, and Jean. Like, they're kind of, at least in my mind, the uh, pillars that kind of... And and I guess to a certain extent, uh, Charles, Xavier, like, they're kind of the pillars of support for that, that universe, I would say... But I could I could totally see a studio or 20th Century Fox trying to do that to to get that money and and maybe drive people there. But I don't know. I, I really hope they don't. I, I I just hope they let Deadpool be Deadpool. And if he makes a cameo here or there, great. But I I hope they're not trying to shoehorn him into every single X Men film. Like, you know, I just. I don't know. I I just don't see it working that well because it's never really worked that well or for that long in the comics and things like that. So, well, I mean, no, I, I, I mean, I have to respectfully disagree. I think that, uh, as the popularity of Deadpool became higher and higher in the comic books, uh, you did see him showing up more and more in X-Men books, like it just in general. And then eventually in all, all different types of Marvel books. I mean, look at his, uh, bromance that they have with him with, uh, Spider-Man now, but, I think that if you had like lines like in first class when Xavier and Magneto are going around looking for mutants, they, they meet Wolverine in a coffee shop and he's, he just tells him to fuck off. You know, you could have a Deadpool come in with a line. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same line, but just be like he walks into the room, says his one line, and then as his Deadpool character kind of break the fourth wall and be like, okay, give me my check now and walks away, you know, kind of thing. I think it would be a good laugh, a good line. Yeah, but I mean, that's my thing, right? Like, I could see that once, but the way that I was interpreting your question was, like, them bringing him back in every single movie that they're trying to do with X-Men and then also sustain his own line of story through the Deadpool films, and that, I think, is a bad idea. I think if you're just going to have one cameo or something and it fits within the timeline of the of the original content that you're trying to recreate then i'm i'm fine with that but i think if it's like every x-men movie comes out and they're like trying to shoe him or shoehorn him in there as like a a key component of the x-men and and the x-men universe like to me i'm like yeah i i think that's maybe not the best way to handle it okay fair enough i mean I just, I, I, I just from what I have observed from studio behavior in general, they, they really found that, you know, he's kind of the cash cow right now. So I, I would imagine they're going to throw him into as many more movies as they can. But who knows? Maybe the, they, they'll play it smart this time. Oh, I'm sure they're going to try to milk that, that <laughs> cow for all the money they can get. I, I don't doubt that at all. I just hope that they... You know, like, because that's the thing, right? Like, if you're telling, like, an X-Men origin story and rebooting the X-Men, I mean, he just really isn't going to fit in there. You know, I I would say if you really want to do that and you want to try to capitalize on the success of Deadpool as much as you can, use Deadpool to introduce those smaller characters that you want to make a movie about, like the Gambit film. They did a Deadpool-Gambit team-up. You know, do do that and then go off and start your your, you know, gambit films or whatever. You know, like I could see it being a lot more successful from that standpoint than, you know, the the opposite side of the coin, if you will. Well, I mean, we'll have to see what they end up doing. If if that's if they even decide to reboot the X-Men universe, I mean, with the young cast that they had in uh, Apocalypse, I mean, I don't think that you really especially for uh uh, what is the name of the girl that plays Sansa Stark and Jean Grey? Uh, Sophie, so Sophia Turner. You know, she's mm-hmm. uh, being part of Game of Thrones. I think she's kind of a, a, a so much of a big get. And then the the young man who played uh, Cyclops is going to be in uh, Ready Player One. You know, so uh, there there those those are up and coming actors that you're going to want to hold on to, just like they did with Jennifer Lawrence. So I don't think starting rebooting the world and getting new actors to play those roles is going to be is too good of an idea yeah i could i could see that but you know traditionally 
<laughs> there haven't seemingly been a lot of really great ideas executed <laughs> upon when it's come to these things, so we we will see. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, <laughs> I'm wrong. Uh, when uh, what's the next video game you're looking forward to? Oh man, video games. Uh, yes, things that exist beyond the film world. Um, oh man, I don't know. I I recently uh, started playing The Division again because they put a huge uh, update out. Uh, one point, it's patch one point four, and it it kind of reworked a lot of the uh, problems that were in the game. I still feel like that there's a lot of content that needs to be added and there's a lot of things that need to be addressed and, and kind of reworked and refigured, but I would say it's been a big uh, leap forward for them and it certainly seemed to breathe at least some new life into the, the franchise for the moment. Uh, that one, um, I'm waiting on uh, Final Fantasy 15 just because it's you know Final Fantasy and it's been in development for over a decade now. And it's finally coming out in eight days, so it maybe by the time somebody stumbles upon this, I'm sure it will already have come out, but <laughs> definitely looking forward to that. The Last Guardian, uh, which is kind of a, a third game in the trilogy, if you will, of uh, like Ico and uh, Shadow of Colossus, and now we have The Last Guardian, which again has been in development forever and people are losing their minds that it's finally coming out. Um, yeah, I think that might be it for this. I mean, I want to go back and check out Titanfall 2. I've heard really good things about that, and they added a story, like, narrative to the game this time. Like, the first Titanfall didn't have it, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, weirdly, and this makes me a horrible video game player, uh, Person, but I'm I'm really looking forward to um, Mass Effect Andromeda whenever that comes out. It's like the fourth game in the franchise, and I haven't played really any of them, despite the fact that I own all of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I need to, I need to sit down and actually play through them, but they're just they uh, they're just so long. They're so like they're like hundreds and hundreds of hours, from what I understand. So I just I, I haven't gotten to those yet. Um. Horizon, I think, is another one that comes out in, like, February 28th of next year. It's, like, kind of the one that we saw at E3 where she's fighting, like, mechanized dinosaurs in, like, a, you know, post-apocalyptic future, and it looks super cool. What about you? I mean, I know you're not, like, a huge gamer, but is there anything that you're, you, you've you been playing lately or been thinking about checking out or that you want to pick? Oh, I mean, I know you played a little bit of Outlast for <laughs> the stream, and we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Which I apologize to everyone that we haven't been on the show, and this is again, it's because of of the work. That's why I haven't been here. So hey, you know that's uh, that's okay. I think uh, one thing that I, I keep hearing popping up around me in in different ways is the Batman Telltale game. So I kind of want to check that out and see what that's all about. And uh, but you know, I don't really keep a ear down for uh, video games as much as I used to. So uh, there's not uh, there's nothing out there that I really want to tackle. Uh, I guess video game related. I am really excited about Assassin's Creed the movie coming out. So uh, that that yeah. that should be here in the next couple weeks, I believe. Yeah, I think it's uh, early to mid December, uh, and I have to agree. I'm certainly oh. interested in checking that out, and fingers crossed, and and praying to the gods of video games that uh, that actually turns out to be good and well done <laughs> and well, i mean so real quick you know just in uh, 30 seconds or less uh what are there any uh you know uh, holiday season movies that you're really looking forward to that and maybe even uh, uh early oscar contenders oh well i mean i don't know that it's a early Oscar contender, but fucking Rogue One looks amazeballs. <laughs> um, so much more excited for that than I was episode seven. Oh, so uh, that same here. I am so looking forward to Rogue One. And I, I when I saw the, you know, the, the teaser or just the idea for Rogue One, even when uh, Force Awakens was coming, I was like, I am so much more excited for Rogue One. Yeah. Like it, it I don't know. I, I, I love Star Wars to death, but to me it looks like a return to greatness. And, you know, 
not to say that The Force Awakens was bad. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I watched it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I just think that Rogue One visually and where it's at in the timeline of things, I think is such an interesting concept. And I am super, super stoked for that. Yeah, me too. So uh, I'm. I, I think that's a good place that we can uh, go ahead and cut cut it for tonight. And uh, uh, if anybody wants to get get with us or you know talk at us and tell tell us what they think, uh, you can get get to me on Twitter at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, Richard's also on Twitter as. Uh, Ray Cohen, uh, R-I-C-O-W-N. And, yeah, please uh, feel free to follow me and chat with me on there. You can, uh, you know, post to me or direct message me. I, I'm totally open to that. So, absolutely. I'm also on Facebook at Ray Cohen as well, R-I-C-O-W-N. And, you know, you can go on there. I don't post as much on there as I do Twitter, but I'm trying to fix that. So, so if you uh, also want to get a hold of... Uh... Geekly Radio, it's at Geekly Radio on Twitter, and uh, Facebook.com backslash Geekly Radio is where is our page, so you can be part of the conversation and uh, uh, be, join our community. Come, come say hi, you know, be a part of the conversation. Uh, then go over to our website, GeeklyRadio.com, where you can check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geekly Radio Network. But until the next time we come back to you with the Mitch and Rich Show, uh, on the Geek Elite Radio Network, we have to say, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.